This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast. I'm Dan Staten. This is your blue collar, do-it-yourself, self-guided, public land, elk hunting learning curve resource, where we leverage hunting to create more personal development. Our goal is to educate and encourage our listeners to become the best possible version of themselves through hard work, delayed gratification, and being accountable to themselves. Hey guys, welcome to Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man. If you're new to the podcast, what's up? This place is all about hard work, delayed gratification. We're talking about being accountable to yourself, your goals, your family. Um, and also we talk a lot about elk hunting. We talk a lot about strategy, archery, uh, just stuff that I'm interested in really and trying to make it inspiring, educational, things like that. Today we're bringing on a guy who probably needs no introduction. He has his own podcast called Kufaru Cast and now he's the president at Kufaru International slash owner. We're going to talk to him about that today and some of his business ventures. We're going to talk about entrepreneurship and we're going to talk about archery and elk hunting and all sorts of stuff. Shout out to Kufaru because right now I think they just launched a, a, a whole line of supplements. I don't know a lot of details. Aaron did not mention it on our podcast, but uh, you can look them up. It's on their socials. You can look into that as well. Um, those guys are awesome. Thank you, Kufaru, for all the support at Elk Shape. Uh, let's go over Elk Shape camps and let's do it briefly. Here's what you need to know. What is Elk Shape Camp? It's a way to cut down your elk hunting learning curve or a way to identify your areas of opportunity, aka your weaknesses. Maybe you suck at calling. You don't know how to locate elk when they're not bugling. Don't know how to read maps. You're not in very good shape or you don't know how to work out to be in shape for elk hunting or elk calling, elk sounds. Uh, your archery setup needs work. Uh, you're a trigger puncher. You have a 10th degree target panic. Whatever it is, we're going to find out. We're going to expose it. And we're going to show you the formula to mitigate it and basically have a more enjoyable elk hunting experience and set yourself up to be able to elk, hunting, elk hunt every year consistently. Uh, so we talk about finances and fiscal fitness and all that kind of stuff. So seven camps, 
Early bird pricing expires December 31st, 2020. Go to elkshape.com to check it out. And I think you guys will be stoked uh, to, to make it to one of the camps. There's a couple that are almost sold out, so hustle up. Uh, let's get into the podcast with Mr. Aaron Snyder. Uh, and then uh, at the very end, I'll give you guys a couple of discount codes that might save you some money and add more value. Uh, here we go. Hello. What's up, man? There we go. I did oh. elk shape first. I found elk shape before Dan. Oh, is that? I don't even know, dude. There's two. Doesn't matter. I found it. <laughs> right on. So you're at a computer. I'm at the office for a few days before I, I head back out. To, I got to drive out to 12th. Where are you? You're going down south? Uh, believe it or not, it's a TV show called Hunt Wars. It's me versus South Cox. Um, they tried to do me versus Steve Speck and me versus Jeff Spazito, but they didn't want to have any part of that, as I understand it. So I volunteered South to do it. So now it's me versus South for a uh, Arizona mule deer. Oh yeah, I I talked to that cat. I don't remember his name. Um, seemed like a interesting idea. I, I totally shit on it when Dana brought it to my attention. And then he called three weeks ago and I'm like, yeah, we're not interested. And he said, no, I want you on the show. And I'm like, no, I'm not interested. And he's like, well, it's a free mule deer hunt in Arizona. And I'm like, oh, I'll find some interest. I'll figure it out. <laughs> and here you are. Oh, South Cox, man. That guy's a, that guy's legendary. He's a competitive little fucker. I was surprised how much he's like, I can't, I, I want to do this. I want to beat Aaron. What? And I'm like, fuck, I just wanted to go hunting. I didn't think it was that big of a deal, but whatever. sounds good. You know, I didn't care. Hmm. So South lives in Colorado, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually got a podcast with him after, um, and Troy to talk about this hunt wars thing. Um, I just, I always make fun of this type of shit, but I'll find a way around it to, uh, to go shoot a giant mule deer, have the chance at one anyway. Yeah, they were talking about doing um, some elk ones as well. Uh, I told the guy straight up that uh, I didn't think it would. I didn't think it was for me. He didn't. He didn't ask me to be on it, but like for the elk collective or something to do something with it. And I was like, I don't think that's gonna work. But you know, I got to give the guy credit. He hustles so hard on it and. We'll see what the, the you know the polished product looks like when it's done. Well, the, they they had insta famous people the first go round. It did not end up well. Um, <laughs> you got to be able to kill, and that's what JP was big Chino because it's his. It's not his land, but it's in his area. If that you know that's yep. where they guide on public. Yep. JP was like, you need fucking killers. Like this is a nightmare. Uh, they had a seven day hunt on prime land, and one guy missed one. That's all they had for footage. He's like you need to have personalities that kill shit or you're not going to make it like doesn't matter how cool you are on Instagram. If you can't put animals on the ground, no one is going to watch, which I firmly believe. Like I don't watch hunting shows for any other reason to watch shit hit the ground personally. Um, you know what I like and, and, and I don't watch them anyway, but when I do, you know, it's just, it's, Oh, hey, big buck. Wham. Well, I guess this was more about camaraderie and hanging around the campfire, which is good, but that's not going to make the show. Something has to die. Something has to die. Uh, you've had a good season, man. It's been crazy. Uh, per usual. Um, 
I never know where I'm going to see you pop up next on your socials, but that's kind of why I follow Aaron Snyder is to one, see stuff die, but two, watch you do go live and answer the same questions over and over and over. Do you think you should just do a frequently asked question somewhere on your Instagram profile and just be like, uh, click the link, scroll down. We've talked about doing something like that. Um, even on the website to, uh, you know, on, on Kafaru's website to frequently ask questions and then have a Kafaru, um, frequently asked questions. And then, uh, Aaron Snyder frequently asked, you know, you know, from anything from headlamps to draw length, like, yeah, it is insane. And those questions, like I probably answer 15% and Instagram shuts it down after I answer a certain amount, they, they, they take away the, where you can ask the question. And so I I can only answer about 500 and that's literally 15% of what's asked. And a lot of them are dumb that I'm not going to answer anyway, that are just, I have a 29 inch draw length, whatever should I shoot? I'm like, yeah, uh, I'm going to need a lot more info, buddy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. I feel like people are short on mentorship or maybe it's the COVID blessing curse. People just getting into it and don't know where to find a resource locally or whatever. Uh, but it's it's a thing. How how was Kufaru sales in twenty twenty looking? I'm guessing. I'm hoping you say your best year yet. Yeah, it's, it'll be close. Um, oh yeah, it's insane right now. Um, I don't know where we're at exactly because I've been gone for three weeks. But um, I, I at that point we were having the best year we'd ever had. So mm-hmm. I love it. Well. My game plan was to dig in on Kufaru a little bit today, um, talk business, and really kind of learn the vision. And honestly, that's pretty inspiring. Like you started out in sales or something, and now you're one of the owners. So there's right there is exciting. Uh, do you want to talk about that? You know, and kind of dive in on the business side of things a little bit. Yeah, whatever you want. Just fire away. Cool. Where did you start? And Kufar, like, how did you get introduced? I was doing backpack reviews, um, you know, some for magazines on forums, crap like that. And uh, Kafaru was one of the last uh, backpack, believe it or not, they were in my, you know, in Denver um, or, you know, surrounding area. And it was the, one of the last or the last pack I had kind of reviewed. And I, I fell in love with the frame and, and uh, it was a unique company, hard to get a hold of anyone. Um, Finally met Patrick and really liked the pack. I didn't like the bags that much. So came back and was like, man, this frame's awesome. I like the concept, but let's, you know, be cool to have a different bag as we got to know each other better. Patrick and I, um, I designed a bag called a Timberline for him and it uh, sold really well. And they kind of put me as like a, I don't know, consultant where, and, and I wasn't not making very much money, but I still work in construction at the time. And um ended up quitting construction and just hoping for the best um i kind of yeah, i was like okay one way or another i'm gonna make it working where i can hunt a lot um anyway uh one thing led to another and i went kind of as a consultant and then i went kind of as a rep getting paid off a percentage and then oh i don't know 2003 or four years after that um i got made the president ceo and then that was like 2014 and six thousand six years later in 2020 this year uh my my par- two partners and i purchased kafaru so it's been 
quite a, a journey. <laughs> yeah, that's a an accelerated growth, but the passion that you have to make cool stuff and to cater it to your military background as well as hunting is your life. Uh, everything kind of comes together. You got to be stoked about that. I mean, you weren't chasing dollars. You were chasing your passion and then the money and the success chases you. Super obvious formula to me, but not to everybody else. They just look from the outside in and be like, oh, cool. Uh, so I always like to bring that kind of stuff up. Let's talk about like how acquiring Kafaru because, dude, that's tricky. Like buying a business is not easy. I, I can tell you selling a business is not easy. It takes time. There's negotiations. There's lawyers. Uh, there's a ton of paperwork and reports. How was your process? Was it just daunting or did it go smooth? I had a lot of help, so I, I will say that. But um I was actually hunting in Arizona last January, um, and Patrick called me and he said, "Hey, what do you think about buying Kafaru?" I said, "Man, I don't think I've got the cash to, to do it, but I've got uh, a friend that I really trust that's uh, shown interest. Let me talk with him." Luckily, he owns a lot of businesses and has CFOs and lawyers and everything else known to man. And I really was just there to. Um, answer questions about the internal workings of Kafaru, finances, finance, excuse me, financials, um, potential growth, hangups, you know, obviously where we, where we wanted to be and why we haven't gotten there, what, what the new owners could do if it happened. Um, just kind of ran all that to, to ground with them. And, and, you know, my friend Chad and, and his CFO for his conglomerate, BJ, um, are my two partners and they handled most of all of that, um, obviously, I was kind of in the middle of it, and, and it was an extreme pain in the ass um, in many different ways I didn't even expect. So I, I agree with you fully that um, it's, a, it's a problem or it can be a problem. And, and no matter how amicable you want it to be when you're dealing with money, there's always going to be some hitches in the giddy up. And that's just how it is. So, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it can be it can test relationships. I, I don't want to say friendships because I think business is separate, but uh, it can test relationships for sure. Uh, but it is exciting. And that's kind of why I was like, I got to get Snyder on and talk about what are you excited about going forward now that you have a lot more, like you had a lot of autonomy, obviously, as a president, CEO guy, but it's your money now, man. Like the decisions really, it's your baby. So Take us through your mindset going forward, your vision of Kufaru. These are hard questions for early in the morning, but I'm into it. No, I've been up for quite a while anyway. Um, right on. I actually, I just bought a Bowflex Revolution. Don't make fun of it. Uh, dude, that thing's money <laughs> for a basement workout thing. Um, I think, uh, you know, the the, the number one, um, oh, I guess, subject or conversation between Chad and BJ and I w was pretty simple, right? Okay. Why are we where we are uh, the Kafaru now? Is it where we wanted to be? Was there any uh, pitfalls, uh, speed bumps? Went over those. And then obviously the next conversation is where do we want to, to go? And that one was easy for me. Um, you know, like out of the gate, I wanted to get down to five days, you know, shorter ship times, five day ship times. Um, I wanted to expand the line, not just the backpacking line, but uh, or backpack hunting line or day pack line, but um, other avenues as well. 
uh, I wanted to start a um, basically a Kafaru Academy uh, where we have um, obviously we'll need a bigger building, which we're working on now. We have land nav schools. We have sniper schools, archery schools, fitness schools. Uh, it literally we kind of made a joke. If you ever seen Zoolander where he's like, uh, it's the, you know, Derek Zoolander school for kids who can't read good. <laughs> it would be the uh, Kafaru Academy for kids who can't kill good and uh, can't do other stuff good, too, because we would cover everything uh, top to bottom in this, both in the, you know, internally meaning uh, classroom environment learning and then obviously out in the wilderness as well. That's something I really wanted to focus on is just get um, some of my friends who are kind of tier one operators or, or military guys involved in this. Uh, John Pinch, guys like that on the sniper portion. Um, archery, obviously, I would handle a lot of the archery stuff with friends of mine. You know, fitness, obviously, you could come in and we could discuss fitness, you know, nutrition. So when, when someone leaves that, um, that school or that block of instruction, I know that they got the best uh, teaching humanly possible that, that we're capable of, of doing. So that was something we're, we're, we're going to implement and we're going to kick in. Um, obviously there was, there's many other things I can't talk about, but we have very, very, um, you know, big aspirations or, or, or big goals. We just want to make sure we take it, you know, slow and steady earns the race. We want to make sure we do it correctly as far as timeline goes. That's exciting vision. That is a cool thing to talk about. It's basically personal development, really. I mean, when you learn new skills that you can take with you. At the end of the day, it distills down to you build more self-esteem uh, and you're building something for people to pursue, some passion. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that just don't have anything like that to just get them out of bed, jump on their feet, and they're stoked to be alive and they got something. That's what hunting's done for me and I'm sure for you. Like It's given me I'm, – I'm freaking stoked every day I wake up. Uh, I have – I'm so like yesterday I got an Idaho elk tag, which was a feat in itself. And it was just a shitty over the counter tag, but man, did it make my day to get that tag when I was like number 10,000 in line. And I waited four hours to get that tag online. Like that's a serious addiction and it's a passion and it gets me out of bed and I'm excited for the day. And I, and I think a lot of people just don't have that in their life. So this could be a very powerful mechanism for your brand and for serving your customers and then broadening your, your reach. Uh, in this digital era, it's, it's, there's not a lot of opportunities to do stuff like that in person. Will there be opportunities to do that digitally or do you think it'll be just mainly live or a combination? One of the things we looked at um, is definitely digitally, you know, portions of it anyway where we will we will have like a webinar teleconference room um, to where we you know we you can't do everything from you know a teleconference room but you can do a lot and so one of the things that was like a big eye opener for me I did a video recently on YouTube about shot angles pretty simple stuff where to aim what to look for what not to hit what to hit if you do hit something you don't want to uh, potential outcomes what to look for for blood things I take for granted probably you do too. Um, and I was enamored by the amount of feedback I got. I, four different States got a hold of me and asked if I would do that presentation for 
the the bow hunting portion uh, for bow hunting for shot angles during hunter safety classes if i would um, go through the exact same video with more detail on the target i was using meaning um all the different parts pieces and anatomy drawn on it and i'm like well that took me like five minutes to do that i didn't even prep like that <laughs> i just got in front of the camera started talking so i definitely could make it better but being able to do things like that loading a back uh, backpack even fitness what do I do? It, you know, what's my little measly workout consist of and, and where are my downfalls and, and have somebody pick that apart? Uh, you know, that's seems like what nobody ever wants to do is be told they are doing something wrong. I'm kind of all for that, where um, if I'm doing my my workout program, um, we had Matt Chan on the other day and Matt was like, dude, you've you've you, your body has adapted to long, grueling uh, 50 pound pack, 75 pound pack days what's your heart rate do when you do this? And I'm like, Oh dude, it skyrockets. And he's like, well, what's it do when you, you know, backpack up a hill with 50 pounds. And I'm like, Oh dude, it doesn't get over a hundred beats per minute. I mean, it's low. He's like, well, you're a one trick wonder, basically. Like you need to, to work on these other exercises. People need to hear that shit. Cause in the day and age of social media, everyone seems to be perfect and no one is perfect. And so having people see, you know, Dan Staten, you have downfalls. What are they? How do we fix those? What my downfalls are and then what I'm doing to correct them so people can relate to that. And, and I'm looking forward to working on that type of stuff as well. Oh, I love that. Yeah, I think Matt's a stud, by the way. If you guys don't know who Matt Chan is, look him up. Um, di- didn't he win something on NBC recently? Uh, the Titan Games. Hash- no big deal. Hashtag. He's a. Is he still a firefighter? Yeah, he's a funny fucker too. Um, and he, he's super fit. And I mean, when I was talking about heart rate things, he kind of looks up at the corner of his eyes. He's like, oh, I can think of a few things. They'll get your heart rate to 150. And I'm like, oh, I'm sure you can. Uh, yeah. you know, and he's just, he is, he's made a lot, much like yourself. He's made a, his life out of abusing his body and making it better. And you would be a fool not to listen to people like, like him or yourself because, um, I, I can punish myself and I, and I, you know, but yes, I work out every day, but you generally, from what I have found, like me, I do a certain amount of things. I do them over and over. It's worked for me and I'm not opposed to, uh, branching out and trying other things, but I generally don't do it unless I have a you there to say, all right, do try this and I'll adapt that into my workout program. Um, if, if it's applicable and makes sense. And so, as an example, one thing he said, dude, I want you to hit the rower max capacity, 60 seconds, flip off of it, max capacity, 60 seconds of pushups, flip off that max capacity, 60 seconds of crunches, go over and, you know, and he listed this off. He's like, if you make it to the seventh exercise, tell me well, I didn't, I, I, I hit cardiac arrest. I just couldn't, you know, do it because I max capacity at everything. And those are one of my downfalls. If you said, okay, Aaron, we got to go nine miles in with 65 pounds. No problem. That race I'm going to win. In the middle of that, if you incorporated, let's say, a few sprints up a hill to get a vantage point on a deer. what? All right, now I'm starting to run on borrowed time. I'm, I'm getting out of my wheelhouse, and those were the things he was trying to perfect. Yeah, I think he, I think we all have chinks in our armor. I think maybe our chinks are similar. Um a feather in both our caps is you say you have like a consistent workout program. Well, that word consistent, I am the same way. I have always consistently done exercise bouts. Uh, it's just part of my lifestyle. 
So the, so cool, feather in my cap. But the longer the workout, the more, you know, lower intensity, the better I am at it. But you put those short, sprinty, interval, anaerobic, low oxygen, max effort, uh, that stuff Matt Chan's really good at. I, I suck at – and so a lot of my programming is like centered around my chinks in ar- my armor. And it usually has to do with a barbell. And it's not like one rep max type stuff. It's like, like you just described, seven movements, 60 seconds per max effort. And I'm talking max effort. Like if I went all out on a rower, I could do some push-ups right after it. But man, like that really will tax me because a rower is the devil. Um, and I think you're right. And then you actually get more dividends out of a higher intensity piece like that, which I can't explain why I didn't. I'm not God. I didn't design the human body, but you do get more like return on investment with effort and intensity, which requires shorter pieces that suck. And do people really like things that suck? Not generally, no. (laughs) No, we usually steer clear. So like a lot of people are really good at benching and really good at arms and they'll skip leg day and then maybe they'll do some cardio and they'll repeat that. And so, yeah. Uh, Matt Chan's onto something. When you, when you, you know, the, the way I have my basement gym set up is I, I have, a basically just a deadlift bar that, that I just have, you know, two wheels on each side. And then I've got a, what do they call that thing? The, where you can do dips and pull-ups and leg raises, um, a rack, squat no, rack. Uh, no, I got one of those too, but, uh, now there's a different name. Roman chair. Maybe? Oh yeah. Roman chair. Um, I got one of those. I've got a uh, Hitmill X, which is this godforsaken uh, torture device. It's an incline treadmill that you can do farmer carries and shoulder shrugs while you're on it. Uh, got a rower, and then I recently got that Bowflex Revolution, which I was a little hesitant at first, but I one of the smartest investments I've I've made, especially in the day and age of coronavirus and working out at home. Now I got some kettlebells, some dumbbells, just normal shit. Um, you know, when you talk about, like you said, max max effort, max capacity. 60 seconds going just balls to the walls on a rower. What my problem is, isn't, isn't, uh, doing that 60 seconds. It's for me to recover mm-hmm. how long it takes and at what level am I at after max capacity? If I'm a hundred percent, when I start, am I left at 60%, 50, 40? What, what do I got left in the tank on the second exercise? Okay. I hit that at max capacity. If I had 70 left at that one, where am I at on the third one? Am I, am I at 42% now? It's dwindling fast. I can tell you that. And that is what I got to work on to where I'm still not a hundred percent, but I'm not a, just a blubbering snot filled, you know, just piece of shit by, by the third exercise where I, I can barely function. And those are the things that I'm really working on now. Cause longevity with a pack on my back is not an issue. Um, and, and, and quite honestly, sprinting up a hill, uh, with no pack on isn't an issue, but there's other things involved in the middle there that, or, or things combined, and then you throw in, obviously, you know, food and water deprivation uh, and sleep deprivation, it can drive somebody to go home early. So for, for me, I'm just trying to make myself a better me, not to sound stupid, but I'm just trying to perfect what I've got and, and make whatever I have a little better. I think you're going to see some really good results, especially in the next... Any worse, buddy. That rower sucks. Oh, it does. And then the high-intensity interval pieces are going to make you better at endurance. I don't know why. 
but I also know it doesn't flip flop like hot, like high endurance, long, slow, steady pieces will not help you with the short interval bursty stuff. It's just, it's just physiology. Uh, it is what it is. Now that hit mill X, man, the guys who make that sent me one to keep at my gym for about a year. And you're not kidding, man. I, I wish it wasn't, I think they're like six grand, but we, I didn't end up buying it. I just basically leased it, but it, it was a piece that I remember saying, this could possibly be like, if you don't, if you're not Aaron Snyder and you live at elevation and your wife drops you off six miles from the house and you hike back home, this is the piece to have in your garage because it's literally, it replicates going uphill. And then you add that farmer carry piece to it. Oh my gosh. And the incline on that thing, what can you get it up to? Oh man, I think it starts out at 20 degrees. Um, man, I don't know how high you can get it. Honestly, I've never checked, but I know cause I do the simulated truck poles cause you can grind that thing down, um, uh, pretty high, uh, resistance. And then I'll drop down into like a four point stance and basically like I'm pulling a truck. You can go from that, uh, release the brake a little bit and, you know, do, do interval sprint intervals uphill. Um, you can drop from that and then do shoulder shrugs and you don't have to get off the machine. Mm. Um, you know, and so what it is, I don't know, but it's definitely a calf burner. Um, I'll have to look and see what kind of incline you can get. But that machine is, is it's pretty unbelievable, but it does come with a pretty heavy price tag. No doubt. That's why you don't see him everywhere at most gyms. But if you look hard enough and the fact that you have one, super jealous. I, I could make room in my garage gym. Um, okay, so I have funny questions, I think, um, with – with all the, let's just like, let's go over Instagram for a second. Like, so I don't have a hundred thousand followers on Instagram like you, but I have a fair amount and I posted something like December chubby challenge. Like everybody seems to myself included to gets chubby in December or chubbier. It's just like the least motivating month with the lack of daylight. Most hunting seasons are winding down unless you're Aaron Snyder and you find ways around it. Most of us guys we're pretty much out of hunting time and we're hitting the Christmas time of year, which is my least favorite. And I have little kids and I love celebrating Jesus's birth, but I hate December. It sucks. And so I was like, I'm making a challenge to get people to break a sweat every day. I don't care how they do it, working out or doing something, shoveling snow. I don't care. Break a sweat every day and shoot at least one arrow and do that every day of December. And I got the idea November 30th, while I was working out and I was like, screw it. I'm going to just post a video. I get a lot of messages on Instagram, but nothing compared to you, not, not even scaled close. And I have so many right now that I can't even get through them. People sending me pictures and proof of them breaking a sweat and shooting their, their arrow or arrows. And it really made my day yesterday, day one. And then Cam Haynes reached out and said he wanted to like help out with the challenge week two. So there's another huge reach. Um, so it's going to blow up. It's going to be an awesome month. The reason why I bring all this up, it's not a humble brag. It's a holy crap. There's a lot of people that actually take fitness serious and shooting their weapon and are, this all leads me up to, am I screwing everybody over by helping people? Are you screwing everybody over by helping people become better woodsmen, better hunters, better with backpacking? Are we screwing hunting over by helping everybody get better? and making more killers. Somebody sent me a nasty message that 
I was cannibalizing elk hunting by doing elk camps and helping people and showing them how to do all this stuff. So that was my long segue into, are we cannibalizing ourselves? Uh, I think so to a certain degree. I mean, depends on how you look at it. And believe me, I've gotten in this talk argument conversation with, you know, many, many people. Um, we strengthen numbers, right? We know we need all the numbers we can get. And uh, with everything going on in the world today, I mean, obviously more now than ever. But with that, you're going to have more competition. But I don't know that at the end of uh, my life, I'm ever going to look back and say, shit, I shouldn't have helped so many people. Um, I don't think anybody would unless you're a real asshole. Um, I, I'm just, the more people I can help, the better. And if people don't like that, it screws up my hunting. If I'm increasing hunting numbers and the potential of um, not having our, our hunting rights taken away because the numbers are more, I'd say it's, it's, a, it's a win. <laughs> so, Dang, that's a good answer. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, it's tough to answer, like to respond to those kind of messages because yeah, I don't think that, uh, I mean, I know there's overcrowding. I know there's a lot of hunters. I know it's very competitive, especially, you know, let's say public land over the counter type stuff. But at the end of the day, I'd rather be in a position to, to have to wait to hunt than to not be able to hunt at all. Yeah. And it, it is a slippery slope, sticky subject. I, I get it, you know, because I get bashed, same but different, you know, for getting info out and helping people. And, I, you know, some of them have been pretty confrontational um, and not, you know, in-person, you know, <laughs> grievances, I guess you could say. But, you know, on, on, on my end, I, I get it. You don't want to ruin your honey hole. And, and I understand all that. But um, it's very short-sighted thinking because we need all the numbers we can get. So it may be a will you have good hunting for the next six years? Eh, Maybe you'll have better hunting if Dan and I don't get the word out. Will you have hunting in 20? That's debatable. We need all the help we can get. So I'm looking long, long term. (laughs) Mm, Well said, man. Yeah. Well, as far as packs go, uh, I'm for people that don't know, I was not running Kafaru ever. And I've been friends with Aaron, um, probably more acquaintances, but I've actually always ran into you here there and stayed in touch and just always appreciated what you were doing somewhere along the line i decided to go varsity and run kufaru this year and um did a review on um youtube because i was tired of answering the same questions how does company x compare with kufaru oh and you can mention the company man i don't it doesn't matter to me yeah it's totally well. If you look at the title of the YouTube video, it's uh, Kafaru versus Exo, uh, because um, my history was Badlands, and then I did a stint with Mystery Ranch, and then I did a long stint with Exo, and then um, came to Kafaru. And I'm not going anywhere. I'm not switching things up. Uh, th- you guys, you got, you already know. I don't have to preach. Like, it's just a different level of attention to detail and quality. And customization would probably be the, like, I'd distill it down to, I make your packs suit me. And I don't have to make my hunt suit the pack, like, because the pack is so customizable. So has that always been the premise of Kufaru or did that kind of evolve? No, definitely has always been the premise. It's actually, we've gotten away from it a little bit when I say away from it. It used to be just a big bag with a bunch of pals webbing on it where you could hook whatever. And 
um, I've kind of done both where I've, I've wanted, I want some pockets sewn on. I want you to be able to attach some pockets, um, you know, different things you may or may not need. So, you know, as an example, obviously I get everything free and I run a hoodlum, uh, pack personally for almost everything. I run a 357 Magnum on some of these when I'm guiding or whatever, but, or a striker, but that hoodlum from anything from three nights to 12 nights, I run that and, and I put on a lid if I need to. If I don't need the lid, I take it off because the snow collar folds down. You can carry a rifle with it. You can carry your bow. You can do pretty much whatever you need to. Um, and so you can, you know, most people end up buying like an everyday carry pack, a day pack, and then a big pack in a frame. But you can get away with quite a bit with one system because of, of the amount of versatility it does have. It's always been that way, and it certainly won't change. The only thing we've done is we've made some packs with a lot more pockets sewn on them, but you still have a ton of versatility with what you could add to it if you needed. When did the hoodlum get invented? Man, that was my baby um, two years ago, and uh, that was just uh, the pack that I wanted, and I didn't, you know— really get a whole lot of advice on that one because I, I knew what people were messaging me and what they wanted and and it's it's been a great you know seller for us it's pretty lightweight and a uh, lot, lot of versatility um we've actually upgraded it this year and and you can't hardly tell we just we put straps across the front of it to strap your bow to it rather than the way that i was doing it when i set it up i did it for um you could still strap your bow to it you just had to be a little bit more uh, versatile because it made it lighter. Um, some people didn't like that, so we added a couple pretty simple straps to go across the back to strap your bow to it. Um, you know, when you when you design something, um, you try to get as much feedback as you possibly can. We test things for a very, very, very long time, which is good and bad. Like I saw um, on a thread on a different pack company's thread that um, I got screenshots of where. Uh, the packs were some of the frames were failing and, and somebody brought up, you know, why didn't you, you know, um, use, you know, test these for a year or two and came back. Nobody has time for that. Well, we do test our frames for a year or two before they come to the market. We'll test bags for a minimum of six months. We're coming out with game bags that we tested those for three months, a freaking game bag. How, how much do you have to test? But we do try to put things through the ringer. Um, as much as humanly possible, testing them before we come out of the market. And we lose money because of that. We could rush things out a bit more than we do, and we've just not a business we want to get into. So, um, you know, and, and I pride myself as, as well as the rest of the company does off that. So if somebody's looking at, but this is the Elk Shape Podcast, so elk hunting backpack, I would probably say, here's how I did it this year. Um, and I'm going to sound probably like a spoiled little jerk, but – it is what it is. You sent me the striker, the cutthroat, the hoodlum. I took all three with me because um, I'd never used the systems. I started out with the striker for about three days. Um, I never did try the cutthroat because I immediately s switched it out to the hoodlum. And I, the reason why I, I liked the striker was I was like, this is going to be the best thing when I kill something. This is going to be the sickest setup to pack meat off the mountain. Uh, but it it didn't work out for me. So I actually ended up gravitating to the hoodlum and I would say I started in Idaho and then I went to Wyoming and I ended up in Montana. And boy, if you saw a picture of the hoodlum from day one to where at the end, when I had it so dialed, it, it was different. I had moved pockets around to where I needed them for my stuff. I had a super dialed system. I knew where everything was 
and where it went, where the spotter went, where the outdoorsman tripod went, um, where the bugle tube goes. And then I was able to add straps to the back to make my bow fit so tight that it didn't move at all when my bow was on my backpack. And I hate having my bow on a backpack, Aaron. Hate it because I just don't trust it. But with your system, it's super dialed. And I'm a guy who rides, like when I used to hunt North Idaho for elk, every day you're on a dirt bike going up single track dirt bike trails through rocks and ruts and wet roots and, and brush. And your bow takes a beating if you can't strap it down tight, which I was not able to do with other systems. So maybe talk to us a little bit since you're the guy that just kind of designed the hoodlum. Like for a guy using that for elk hunting, let's say three days, because I don't think a lot of guys, I think a lot of guys end up back at the truck after three days to get more food, water, whatever. Very few people elk hunt successfully seven, 10 days straight without coming back to the truck because elk are nomadic and they move. Like, why would you commit so deep to one spot? So with the premise of coming back to the truck every two to three days to resupply, what's the perfect setup for the hoodlum when it comes to elk hunting? A large and medium belt pouch on the back of it um, for your, for the stuff you need throughout the day. On the snow collar, it folds over. I'll generally put a medium belt pouch on that. So I've got three pockets on the outside. Yep. And in those pockets, I have snacks, headlamps, uh, you know, Aquatab, SteriPen, all that type of stuff you, you need. Uh, I don't put anything in the vertical pockets um, for elk hunting because I'm generally not taking a spotter and a tripod. On the inside, I have my survival pouch. Sometimes I have it on the outside. Uh, kill kit, game bags, uh, my rain gear I'll generally have on the inside. Uh, things I don't need to get to. Um, too, too terribly often go on the inside. So it compresses down. It, well, it just, it certainly doesn't look as big as it does. It compresses down pretty much flat. And then I just have those pockets on the outside. You know, to me, a system like that with maybe a Grabbit or a Sherman pocket, um, you know, and that's even, I, I don't even use those. That's about perfect. And if you're going for three days, kind of the beauty, uh, really three to five with the, the hoodlum, um, you have room left. And, you know, people, I know a lot of people like the, the load shelf and that's kind of a new fad, but, uh, you know, mankind has been hunting for a long, long time and there is no load shelf. And I, I don't use a load shelf personally. The middle third of that pack will hold about 65 to 70 pounds of meat. And so on my way out, I put all my squishy stuff, sleeping bag or whatever in the bottom, uh, help elevate the load. And then I, I, I literally load the, the middle third of that with a dry sack full of meat. And then whatever goes, uh, you know, after that, wherever I need to fit it, it stays really close to your back and, and you can still be super agile. It's comfortable. Um, and you still have the, the pockets on the outside, the zippered spotter and um, uh, tripod pocket on the outside. Uh, so where you can put gear in that. So you're not um, you've got room left. And that's kind of the beauty of that three to five day range with the, the hoodlum is you don't really have to reinvent the wheel to get an animal out. The human body can only carry so much anyway. So. Yeah, no, uh, I agree completely. I think taking it all apart and just to have a load shelf uh, is unnecessary. You can do it. It's cool. But I think what you described is just more efficient, which is what I'm after. The other thing that I was able to do was put that giant Phelps bugle tube in that side zip and to where I could put it in and take it out without looking. It's just right there over the shoulder. And I don't bugle a ton when I'm not like Jason Phelps or a Dirk Durham. I'm not, I don't vocalize 
probably I probably a fraction of their calling. It's just different style elk hunting, but uh, it's that's super clutch. The other thing is on the 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 hip belt. What do you put on your right and your left side? Uh, man, I I honestly I used to put belt pouches on there. I just put an Altine pocket on my right side, mm-hmm. and and that's it. Um, I don't I don't. Well, I I have a small uh, knife, I guess, tied on there as well, and uh, I don't have anything on the left side. That's due more to the the recurve. Um, with a compound is one of the reasons uh, when I went to the recurve on the left side, that stuff can can potentially get in the way when you when you draw and clank on things. So I leave my left side naked now. Uh, before the stick bow, I um, I had a small belt pouch on one side and then a Nalgene and a knife on the other. Uh, some guys will use a Nalgene and a pistol. Uh, it just depends. But I, I don't have a whole lot on my belt anymore other than that Nalgene bottle pocket. Okay, cool. I want to tap into your knowledge on um, hunting clothing systems. Um, and I just don't care about brands about that. I just care about like different opportunities to try different companies and, and what's been working for you. I've seen you wear a lot of Sitka, but I've seen you test out other companies, maybe companies people haven't even heard of. I don't know if you have relationships to where you have to say one thing or the other, but what are the best early season archery hunting pants on the market or a couple different brands and options wise? Um, I would say out of, out of the gate, um, you know, the one thing you want to look at is, uh, do, do you want a Merino, uh, nylon mix, something like that? And if that's the case, there's, there's two that I would suggest they're super quiet and they're pretty good for, for warm weather. And then that's going to be the Sitka apex. And then, uh, the first slide it was called the obsidian. I don't know what it's called now. Um, those are really good warm warm weather um non-hunting uh specific would be a piranha zion um a little bit of noise because it's nylon but it does extremely well in uh, rough environments and it breathes pretty well they're they're pretty thin those would be the the top three and I, it's hard to get you know i need one pant to do it all a lightweight pant is not going to do it all this is for warmer weather clothing um you get into colder weather clothing things change a lot but those are the three i'd say look at first okay I've seen you, I think I've seen you wear Fial before. And I, I didn't have it on right now. Oh, okay. T- tell me about that company a little bit and what they got going on. Um, Fial, Fial Raven is, it's, it's actually owned, I think it's the Phoenix Group, which owns Fial Raven, Hanvog, uh, Primus, a bunch of other different companies. I honestly, I don't hunt in Fial Raven uh, pants. I, I just wear them around town or, you know, if I'm helping out ranching or whatever. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cotton in them and some, uh, some stretchy material. They're super durable. They fit really well. They're very comfortable. Uh, some of the pants have leg blowouts for, for heat, but it's not a pant I would take. Um, personally, I would take hunting There's There's better options, but for an all around pant, a work pant or whatever, they're pretty, they're pretty badass. Okay. Um, when it comes to boots, I've worn Kenetrek for a decade. Uh, you said Han Vog. Have you tried those boots? man i don't know that there's a boot out there i actually probably haven't tried um you know with boots it's two things fit and and durability um you know for me anyway so like when people ask me hey what boot i should get i'm like well the the one that fits you um you know in in any case for you it might be kinetrek you know for me um hanvog fits extremely well and then some of the um uh, excuse me some of the zamberlins fit pretty well um, I'm pretty much married into Hanvog at this point cause I'm helping to helping them design boots. Um, 
you know, obviously I still give recommendations for other boot companies, but um, I have the autonomy over there to, to, to throw my two cents in for designs. They just fit really well. I've had really good luck with them. I've had good luck with durability on them. And so that's why I run the Hanvog, but there's a lot of good options out there. Okay, let's go a step further. Everything starts from the ground up. And I don't know, no matter what boots I wear, my left foot must be just a little bit wider in the toe box. I'll get some heat. I'll get some some tight spots on anything I wear. Tennis shoes on up. And I don't know, I've seen companies out there like Sheep Feet and a couple other ones. Do you have any reps with that? So, yeah, I have sheep feet in my boots right now. I had custom orthotics. My buddy Scott made me before that. He has a, a full-on podiatry clinic. He does prosthetics. And the the one thing I found is I got a tool uh, that basically it's like a ring and pinion or a ball in a, a circle and a reverse set of pliers to blow out your toe box if needed where you have pressure points. That is vital for me because I can get not any, but most bits boots to fit. So let's say I have a boot that has no heel rub, fits my foot perfect, but I get a little rub on my big toe, on my left foot, on the high side. I draw a little Sharpie mark on that, and I blow that thing out with that, meaning I just yeah. compress it yep. and leave it overnight. I'm good to go. Um, as far as orthotics, man, I'm to the point now where I'm a firm believer, get a custom orthotic. I'm a, a huge fan of sheep feet. Um, I promote those as much as I can. And where people have difficulty when they see other, um, you know, companies say, uh, you know, do a custom foot package or what, unless you're stepping into a mold, um, and then that mold, there is a, um, an orthotic that is being shaped to that mold of your arch of your foot and everything else. And in my case, I have bone spurs. So there's like chunks taken off the bottom of it for, to give me more relief of pressure. Unless you're getting something like that, you're not, you're, you're far from a custom orthotic. Um, you know, a super feet, that's not a custom orthotic. That's just an upgraded insole. A custom orthotic is made for your feet. Uh, sheep feet do that. And, and, and that's something I strongly suggest for people. So take me through that. They, they send you a mold kit and you just step into it. Like, how does that work? Yep. They send you a, a, a box that looks like there'd be a big book in it. It's got foam inside. There's instructions with it. Follow those very, very, very externally. Um, you step in that, it makes a mold of your foot. You pull your foot out, you box it back up, you send it to them, they call you. Uh, they're gonna go through, do you want single or double padding? Um, do you, you know, do you, what kind of um, relief do you potentially, or what kind of relief do you potentially need? In my case, where I have the bone spurs, I made a little indention and drew a Sharpie mark so they knew they needed to take away from that. Um, and then that way you have arch support, less chance of plantar fasciitis, um, body's all connected. So, you know, if you have tight ass cheeks or, uh, hamstrings, calf muscles that transfers down to the, uh, where you get plantar fasciitis issues, it will help with all of those things along, obviously with preventative maintenance and stretching. But, um, the biggest thing you're going to notice is a lot long, a lot more long-term comfort when you're putting six, eight, 10, 12, 14 miles on in a day that is where you really notice the difference in a custom orthotic and with extremely heavy weight. Mm. Now this medieval torture device thing that you bought, I, I, I've seen pictures of them so I can picture it, but where the heck did you get it? It's like the, some, it goes inside your boot. Amazon? Yeah, Amazon, they have them. They're okay. 49 bucks. I'm going to put a link to that, guys, in, in the show notes of this episode. 
and I'm going to spend 49 bucks on Amazon today because I need to, there's a, there's a consistent hotspot I got. I'm going to Sharpie it. I'm going to give myself a little bit more real estate because it, it does really start to add up when I put on the miles day after day in the backcountry. It's insane. So, um, hey, Luco tape, custom orthotics, that tool, uh, that we're talking about, those yep. are three primaries for a happy foot. <laughs> happy foot's a happy hunter. Yeah. That's cool. All right, Aaron. So we're coming up on an hour. Uh, let's tap into your elk hunting knowledge. People don't think of you as an elk hunter cause you're always killing all sorts of species, but I know better. How old were you when you got your first bull with a bow? With a bow? I was older. Um, Man, maybe uh, 19, 18, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't like super crazy young age. It was a cow in Oregon. Um, so relatively relatively um, young, but not, I mean, there's some guys I know that have killed, you know, 12, 13, 14 years old, <laughs> killed, killed an elk with a bow. I was gun hunting at that time. I didn't get into archery until I got a little bit later. Mm, that's cool. Uh, you live in Colorado. Do you still hunt elk every year in Colorado or do you like to go to other places? Um, a little of both, you know, the, the, I had, the last time I had on an elk was 2016. Um, and I, I got one with, uh, the recurve and qu- quite honestly, I had hunted elk so much that there was a lot of other things I wanted to dive into. And so that's what I did. So I, I hunted elk a little bit in, in between there, but, um, I really didn't hunt elk again cause I was focusing on high country mule deer. I drew a goat tag, um, you know, hunted in Alaska as well. Um, this year I drew a, a very, very good, well, I say very good, uh, uh, it's, it's a one point unit, but it's a very good unit that I, I know well. Um, man, I really set my sights on shooting a monster and I, did I, we, well, thank God we documented most of it and nobody believed me. We passed up a lot of elk and I, I just wanted to shoot something over 320 and I didn't get it done. Um. You know, and, and back in the day, that, that was my nickname was the Elk Reaper. Um, that was my thing. Man, I, I just loved hunting elk. And then as time's gone on, I still love hunting elk. I just was like, okay, I'm not getting any younger. I got to start focusing on other animals. And I really like hunting high country mule deer too. So. Mm, yeah. Well, I still can't get over elk, obviously. But uh, I don't have a lot of reps in Colorado. I've only shot one bull in Colorado. And that's it. I haven't been back. Um, and I don't know, man. I'm sitting here with probably 14 preference points in um, what I would call point purgatory, where there's just too many people in front of me and they haven't died yet or drawn. And for some reason, I'm in love with trying to hunt that northwest corner like everybody else is. But uh, Colorado's an interesting state. What happened there this year with the wildfires? Like, because I, I really don't know. Like I, was it massive to where people couldn't hunt and they got their tags refunded to them? That's kind of what I heard, but I don't, I don't know for sure. I think some did where I was, it wasn't as affected. Um, it was a weird year all the way around. Not, not in that, you know, you're always going to hear that when you have a bad year. Uh, but it was truly, it was 11 degrees and it snowed a foot on us the first end of the first week of September. Um, I mean, just a massive storm elk really just you know how that goes really clammed up um you know the rut was definitely not what everybody had hoped for because the season started later this year um 
I won't say the rut was non-existent because there was parts, you know, of the state and different parts of a unit that would light up, but nothing like I had seen, you know, before there was, we would call in a lot of small bulls. I think Mike Hearn called in six different bulls for me in four days, sub 20 yards, but the big ones, they would just hang out. Of course, I have a recurve my hand, 60 to 80 yards, you know, hang out back there and just wouldn't come in. And, and usually by the end of the season, those things are coming in with, you know, even if it's a satellite bull, but a good plus 300 plus satellite bull, they're coming in like with reckless abandonment. I didn't see that or hear about a lot of that in different areas. So it's just a weird year. Where was the, I guess, where was the heart of the wildfires? What, what area? Uh, the, well, there was one, you know, closer to the, the Bailey conifer area. There was a bunch up north, um, you know, entire units burnt down. Um, so off and on, the entire state was on fire at times, it certainly seemed like. Was there a serious amount of smoke to where it's unhealthy to be outside? Oh, yeah, or unhealthy to try and glass because you couldn't see shit anyway. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was at times hundreds of miles away, um, you know, you wouldn't be able to see, you know, really anything, uh, cause the smoke was just so bad. Uh, well, it was a weird year. Um, the fuels for these fires, is it a lot of it just beetle kill? I imagine. Yeah, it's just dry in Colorado in general, beetle kill, you know, you're in the neck of the woods where, you know, I'm from, um, meaning if you close down all the logging roads and the logging, you cannot access certain areas to fight a forest fire which is a huge problem you're also not cleaning out a lot of the well i mean one thing that i that i have learned when you talk about reforestation or or logging you know they're doing brush piles and burning down all of that fuel well when you leave it alone it is a recipe to you know whether you believe in logging or not it's a recipe to burn the world down like you, you are doing nothing but creating tinder and fuel leaving a forest alone and then if lightning strikes it it's going to burn like it was damned for quite some time my my parents house burned down in oregon this year from a crazy wildfire and one of the main things that all the locals were like hell no one can fight the fire there's no way to get access to these because all the logging roads had been closed down and nothing had been cleaned off and so you can't get back there to even maintain the the fire um and i don't want to speak out of turn for oregon because i haven't been there in a while but you know, in, in Colorado, it's super dry here, and it it's a recipe for what happened, which is the whole state catching on fire. Yeah, man, I'm I'm pro logging, hundred percent, and I've seen with my you know my own two eyes what it can do for wildlife, which is hard for some people to even grasp. They're like, "Oh no, you're putting all these roads in, clear cuts are ugly," uh, but you know what's ugly to me is old timber with a canopy where nothing grows underneath it yeah you got to have that but uh there's a way to do it to where uh it's being managed uh this should be a good example where's the best place to hunt three years after a forest fire mm -hmm. the burn um i shouldn't even talk about this shit because i'm gonna fuck up hunting areas they love the lettuce and the <laughs> lettuce grows back great and so <laughs> that's just how life works so when people are like uh, you know, logging and a forest fire aren't a whole lot different. You're cleaning out the top cover. So sunlight hits the floor and more grass grows and, and, and not just grass, obviously, but multiple different things. And so 
you know, people get into this argument with me and, you know, trying not to be a total peckerwood, but I'm like, first thing is like, do you really even understand what you're talking about? Like, are you just repeating shit you overheard because animals love forest fires? I'm not saying burn the world down, but animals love logging and forest fires. And if you don't believe me, speak elk or blacktail or mule deer. Why are they in where what was the first place they go to is logging operations when it's growing back? Because the sun is now hitting the valley floor, the forest floor. And I'm going to stop talking because everybody's going to be hunting burns now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, speaking of logging country, I was on Idaho Fishing Games website. Uh, like I said, it took me about four hours yesterday. And I was like, oh, I'm going to buy my bear tag or tags right now too while I'm at it. And I am, um, I don't know. I couldn't, it wouldn't allow me to, to buy a bear tag. It said maxed out. Uh, do you know anything? Is that even possible? I, I didn't think it was for bear, but maybe, maybe it is. God, I hope not. My life revolves around spring bear hunting, quite honestly. So wasn't able to get a tag. I'll look in, I didn't know if you would know better. Um, I'm not freaking out yet, but there's a potential I could be freaking out if I can't spring bear hunt over the counter in Idaho. Which would be crazy because there's a lot of bears in Idaho. Um, why you would not allow that is strange, but who knows? Uh, okay. My phone was going crazy because people were like, hey, are you you know, putting in for Idaho? And I got on there for about 45 minutes and hopped off. I'm like, I got plenty of other options. You know, uh, I'm going <laughs> to exercise my right to hunt elsewhere because I don't have time to be on here. It was a, it was a shit show. Um, I'm a horrible parent, so I was supposed to take my son to school. Uh, and I got logged on at nine o'clock my time and we needed to leave at nine 30 to get him to school on time. And I didn't, I didn't want to lose my place in line because I didn't know how long it would take. I could have easily taken him to school, come back home, done work, picked him up, come back home and still had time where I wasn't in the portal yet. It was, it was interesting. It was kind of, I think I've seen some people on the internet kind of really worked up about it. Um, Here's the bottom line, Aaron. Uh, Idaho Fishing Game just sold pretty much all their elk tags about 10 months earlier than they usually do. They got a ton of capital. I see an opportunity to make a lot of interest on that money. They raised the prices, and they they not only did they increase the prices to be fair, but significantly, but they also just got all their cash up front in hand, supply and demand, I felt like, uh, maybe the system sucked because like you and I, if we wanted to hunt Idaho together, there was no way for you and I to put in together. You know what I mean? Or plan a hunt together. We just couldn't do it. Besides that, it's uh, maybe kudos to them. Maybe they just, maybe they do know what they're doing. I don't know. Too early say, to tell. No, and no, yep, it's too early to tell. And Idaho has always been fairly um, savvy in a, in a lot of ways. You know, no no state is, is perfect by any means, but um you, Colorado, on the other hand, you know, the Republic of Boulder is a, well, that's why we have wolves coming to Colorado now. Um, but Idaho seems to stand uh, behind its gun. So maybe it is a good thing um, more than a bad, but it also could have just been, they didn't realize the amount of bandwidth they were going to need on that computer. And they, I, well, it's probably, they definitely fucked that up. Like yeah. there's no doubt, um, you know, like being on hold, uh, you know, whatever change out your Verizon phone. 30 minute late time on that is a bad deal. You guys, I've heard some guys were on for three hours. Oh yeah. I, myself included. I got friends that finally got logged in, added to their cart. 
went to check out and got bumped out and they were back at the back of the line again, which is stupid, man. That sucks. Um, but do you think Colorado should have a cap on non-resident tags? Yeah, I, I do. And I've gotten beat up pretty good over this. Oh, why? That, that doesn't, okay. I want to, what's their argument? I, I had a lot of uh, out-of-state hunters get a hold of me, tell me I was a selfish piece of shit because I live here. And it's like, I do live here. You don't. I'm not bitching about Pennsylvania, Iowa. But Miss, uh, it's your state. Well, I live here. So I would I would like to have a little bit better opportunity than someone that doesn't. That's, I mean, common sense. And I, I'm not trying to be a dick. It's just I, I live in this state and an out-of-state hunter has the same rights I do, basically. Um over the counter, obviously, there's no caps. To me, I believe there should be a cap in every unit, both for in-state and out-of-state hunters. But I think the, um, you know, the cap for out-of-state hunters shouldn't be equal to in-state. Um, you know, it should be less. We're the only state that does that. Um, and so, it, it's no. I mean, I get why you might get mad at me, but why should I get to? You live in your state. Why should I get the equal rights that you do? I don't live there. I don't pay taxes there. I pay taxes here. Um, you know, so I'm just looking at it in the sense of a better hunt, uh, you know, for one, because with caps, less pressure, you know, there's a lot of people in there and in a better herd and a better experience. I don't want to just go hunting. I want to have a good hunt. And there's a big difference between going hunting and a good hunt. And, and numbers are part of that. And, and so I want good, good animal numbers. And if you know, that means not as many people get to hunt for a few years. So be it. It's we're, we're not out here for us. It is for the animals, everyone. Yes, I want to kill one and eat it. But I also want to have a good experience when I'm out there and you need more animals to do that. Mm, well said. I do think that Idaho, Colorado, both need to understand, maybe all states, the bandwidth and the level of information. If you have a state like Colorado with no capped in the zones or, or units, an unlimited amount of non-resident over-the-counter tags, unlimited. Well, it's called the internet. And if a nugget or two gets leaked about a hotspot, you're going to have 50 trucks at that trailhead. And that's a real thing nowadays is information age. So it's probably hard to, uh, to argue that it would make everyone's hunt more enjoyable and some people wouldn't get to hunt every year in their same honey hole. I get that. Um, and then I do think you have to give a precedent to the people that pay the taxes in state. Um, look at me, man. I live in Washington State. This place sucks for elk hunting. Mainly because we have elk, but the seasons suck. It's like a two-week archery season. Two states over, I go to Montana and hunt archery for six weeks. Yeah, and you can grab a gun if you don't make it. And I can go another six weeks and take the, uh, what you call it, the cheater bar? Yeah, the cheater bar. <laughs> Love it. Uh, you talk about, I mean, six weeks disperses hunters out. It may sound like a too generous of a season, but to me the way I look at it is like, okay, not everybody's going to plan their vacation around two weeks and you're going to have overcrowding. It disperses people out. You got your gung-ho people that are going to be there for the opener. You got your people that like, uh, think that I got to be there for peak rut. You got people like me that are like, I'll come in there in early October. You know, it's, it spreads people out. But then you got like Washington state. My point being is just 
there's elk there, but there's a high density of human beings in Washington and there's really short seasons. It's, uh, yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, especially with, uh, you know, dispersing it out, um, you know, timeline or whatever. And, you know, there was a time that I would have argued that a fitness, a high fitness level will, will carry you away from people. Uh, that time has come and gone. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly. You, I cannot fitness my way. When I say fitness, I'm not going to hike my way away from people uh, in Colorado specifically because I've hiked out of the wilderness by the time I've hit a, a, a distance. I'm already coming out by the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And so the um, limiting numbers um, is not a horrible idea. And, and I get, you know, there's going to be people listening to this screaming, we don't have all your opportunities and we don't get to hunt. I get it. I also know what it looks like to go into a basin and have 14 other hunters in one basin for mule deer or go in and camp at a water source, um, you know, that I might see one person hike by in three days, 10, 15 years ago to where there's 13 campsites within a half a mile of that one specific water source. Is that a good hunt or is that going hunting? It might be a good hunt for some, but for the most part, you're going hunting because those elk will be blown out inside of 24 hours of that area. Uh, in my experience, especially in Colorado, um, it's not a stick. They run farther. Uh, Northern Idaho, Western Washington and Oregon, Roosevelt's don't run as far. Um, you know, they get in the timber. Elk will run two miles before they even think about stopping. Uh, well, you can watch them do it if you're glassing for mule deer and think, uh, oh, that guy's screwed. And he has no idea. He's not going to see an elk for a few days because he's ran them off. But you get a lot of pressure. It gets a lot harder to kill them. Mm, well said. Well, Aaron, what's, uh, let's end here. What's new and exciting 2021 for yourself or Kafaru? Uh, what are we looking forward to? Um, for myself, I just going to hunt until I try and die. Uh, I have a lot of hunts I'm planning. No, no different than any other year. Uh, Kafaru, we're looking at potentially moving up to Wyoming. We're trying to get that, you know, figured out, um, you know, as far as if we're going to do it or not to, for the expansion, uh, we've got a lot of products we're working on that'll be coming out. Um, so, you know, I can't go into to all of them. Some are pretty simple, just new backpacks, um, other lines that we've never done before that, that, that we've had designs for, for a long time. So I can't go anything in great depth, but definitely we're not looking at taking over the world, but we're definitely looking at expanding and, and doing it the right way and keeping everything here in the States. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate your time. Guys, Aaron Snyder, he needs no introduction. Uh, I assume you're following him on socials, keeping up with him. Uh, Remember, separation is in preparation. We'll catch you on the next one. Mm, Thank you, Aaron Snyder. You're a good human. You're great for the industry. You're a hard worker. That's why I love Aaron. He's unfiltered. He's authentic. He keeps it real. You, uh, there's just not enough people like that nowadays. So, uh, Baku e-bikes discount code ElkShape400. Put that, buy it, go. Get yourself the mule. Get your thousand watt, and you're gone. Treeline Academy. Learn how to e-scout the most thorough e-line, uh, the most thorough digital e-scouting academy ever. Discount code ElkShape will make it only ninety nine dollars. So that's the discount code. Uh, I'm going to bring Mark Livesey back on the podcast and do a round two and just have him drop knowledge bombs 
Vortex Optics, thank you guys for all your support. They're promoting Vortex Wear, their new line of apparel that's super dope. Elk Shape will get you 20% off. Hashtag fit for anywhere. Wilderness Athlete Elk Shape 30 will get you 30% off your first purchase. Try the Hydrate and Recover. I drink a scoop every day. Uh, energy and Focus. Uh, they have a premium protein blends, uh, fish oils and multis. Uh, super awesome company. Not a marketing company, just a supplement company. Northwest Retention Systems. Discount code ELKSHAPE. No shipping and handling. And that uh, discount code is almost like not necessary because now we have a Northwest Retention Elk Shape Scout holster. It's got the logo on it. If you buy that, you don't have to even enter discount code. Tim will not charge you ship and handling. So thank you, Tim, at Northwest Retention Systems. Get yourself a handmade custom piece for your sidearm that you can put on your chest, put your binals over the top, and be safe in the backcountry. Stowaway Gourmet, best freeze-dried food ever. Discount code ELK10, 10% off. Black Ovis, discount code is elk shape. That'll get you anywhere from 15 to 20% off. And that's what I got for you guys. I appreciate all your support. Remember, separation is in the preparation, and we will catch you on the next one.